has wandered into the studio. Welcome. Oh, Mike. White line fever, well done. Yes, thank you. It was a uh, an inspirational thought one moment. <laughs> for all this, that's yeah. me, because I have it. So I thought that yeah. was appropriate. Um, Dale's come in today to talk about a book he's co-authored with Rob Hess called Australian Rules Football During the First World War. Tell us a little bit about how this book came about. Well, it's got a long germination process, Ren. It uh, started off as an honours thesis, actually, way back when I was a young man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Back in, when did I do that? In 93. And uh, it was ostensibly about um, uh, conscription during the Mm -hmm. First World War and football in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. But uh, obviously conscription was a national... uh, national issue uh, and it spread into football in all the states affected football in all the states so uh, that sort of became an abridged version history uh, in another book called More Than a Game as a chapter in that oh, at yeah. uh, turn of 2000 but then with the centenary of mm-hmm. the First World War the emergence of the national competition and uh, the emergence of women's football particularly in recent uh, years we just felt that it was probably an appropriate time to retell the story yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a really, we were saying just off air, it's a very accessible book. The length of it is totally doable. It's 150 pages Yeah, it's about 50,000 words, I think, when it's yeah. all said and done. Um, and as you were saying, each of the chapters do stand alone mm. in their own right, which makes it um, very easy to pick up and put down. If you read it by chapter, yep. you know, you're not kind of caught having to try and remember what was said to keep going with the, the narration, which was great. Um, yeah, I was really interested. I am a history student as well, and I love my sport, obviously. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I saw that you released it, I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. This is going to be great. And I promoted it last week, and Phil was like, why don't you ask Dale on your show? I was like, that's probably a good yeah, idea. That's not hard. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I have to say, like, I found some of the stats really interesting in it um, and the story around the press, just how one-sided they've always seemed to be. They just yeah, picked footy. <laughs> uh, that, that particular time. To be fair, uh, people like, um, oh, what's his name? <laughs> Brain fade. Uh, I'll come back to it. Adamson, uh, Adamson yeah, yeah, that's that's yes. the one. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I did read it, see? You did read it, yeah. So that was just a tester for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, people like Adamson actually did target uh, cricketers as well, like right. called, called the Victorian Shield side cowards, basically because oh. they hadn't en- enlisted. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> and so, but you're right; it, 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 those tended to be untouched in the same mm. way that uh, football was. And we talk about it to the students as the three P's: you know, the press, the parliament, and the pulpit. At the time, as, mm. uh, those three groups were incredibly um, instrumental in pushing that that, um, if you like, pro-British, uh, pro-war mm. position, uh, the imperialist position and loyalty to, loyalty to the empire and all that kind of stuff was they were the ones that were advocating that. And, of course, you had uh, the Labor press as well. Mm. So, uh, And they were you know, uh, often stridently uh, anti-war at the, at the start. But they were caught in this bind at the, the start of the war that... You know, they were very much. This is the start of unionism, and uh, yeah. the the labour movement is is in full swing by this stage, and socialism is very much a part of uh, the the uh, the language of the average worker back in the mm-hmm. turn of the century, coming into the First World War, and uh, but they were caught in this brutal um, kind of uh, paradox of of they wanted to 
resist capitalism, mm. uh, resist uh, a, a lot of those sorts of things. I'm fearful of uh, expansion of uh, markets because that would bring in covered labour and all those sorts oh, of yeah. things. But at the same time, and they saw the war very much as a, as a capitalist war, an empire, a war of mm. empires, but they, they were incredibly loyal to the British Empire because yeah. uh, they saw themselves as Australian Britons. So that was the bind that they oh. found themselves in. Uh, and ultimately, the Labor press initially kind of said, you know, we're against this war, but we can't let Mother England down. down yeah. So that was kind of where they, where they fell. Yeah, that was really interesting. And, and the journey for the press, some of the press just was, wouldn't let it go. Like no, they just right till the end. Yeah, yeah like right they the just end. kept damning all the, yeah. the spectators and they damned the players mm. and all that kind of stuff. What I thought also was... Um, very interesting in the book was the conflicting messages that people were getting like from football soldiers who had yep. gone yep. and how much football was being played overseas and how much they loved playing their national game in all these other yeah. countries yeah. and yet it was trying to be stopped by so many yeah. like different and, levels and, and, back and it, at home and it's uh it's a really good exercise and especially for uh, and, and we actually do it um, for our students is make them go to the Trove website, right. uh, you know, the National mm-hmm. uh, Library's uh, collection of newspapers and because you can go into the, any, you know, any, um, any suburb of, of, of Australia virtually oh, wow. and find the, find the newspaper of that particular... And they vary uh, greatly in, in their content. And, but things like the South Melbourne Record and the Footscray Advertise, mm. but uh, particularly are quite you know, substantial publications. Oh, yeah. uh, and they are reflective, especially the South Melbourne record, about what you're just saying, about uh, these footballers that are riding home. Yeah. And these heroes of the South Melbourne Football Club mm. who are actually uh, now in the AIF overseas are writing their letters um, back home saying, gee, I hope the boys go all right this season. Yeah. Uh, can't uh, wait to get uh, back. Can't wait to get back. Yeah. So Bruce Sloss and mm-hmm. these characters, uh, Will's, uh, uh, are all, you know, Willis, I should say, are all writing these letters. And, um, and, and so it is a mixed message that you get. So you've got the Patriots beating the drum, but at the same time, these soldiers who, uh, who you would say, uh, you know, the Patriots would argue, um, we've got to support these guys. Mm. If you don't go, you're actually, you know, Let stabbing these guys in the back. Mm. But soldiers didn't see it that way. And in fact, the soldiers themselves, many of the soldiers actually voted uh, against conscription. Yes, mm. that was very interesting. Um, I think also the um, the amount of players that went, and also enlistment was really different in World War One. Like we're very removed from it now, obviously, mm. and things have changed a lot. And probably the shortest memory people have for that is probably Vietnam. Like you know, that would be kind of the last major conflict that included conscription. Um, but World War One also, the first call out, the medical stuff was so stringent. So many footballers actually got knocked back. Yeah. They couldn't go. There's all this pressure on them, go, 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 because of the right. um, Christian, what's that, muscle? Mus- muscular Christian. Yeah, the whole, if you play sport, you're a good soldier and blah, blah, good blah. Good citizen. It they was, go across. Uh, yeah, it was training for you as a, as a man to do your duty as the empire. Yeah. There had been a long narrative of that through, through the literature of the day. And then they uh, all got, ten- like a lot of them got turned down. 
Yeah. Because you can play uh, sport with all kinds of things that uh, mean you're not a good soldier, like George, flat feet. And yeah, George Chalice was the, the classic example, had a defective toe, so he was um, Oh, so he, he was the hammer-toe man. So he Didn't re- he try six times or something? Uh, no, it's one of, the Richmond, one of the Richmond guys um, tried supposedly five times. Yeah. Whether that's apocryphal or, or, or not, I yeah. don't know. But um, It's a good anecdote. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, uh, but certainly Chalice was one, who got, and then when he finally did enlist, he was blowing the bits in France. So just yeah. Uh, so this this whole this is the other irony of it all was this whole idea that you know these footballers would be ideal soldiers. Um, mm. They would uh, they were adepts at sports, so they would be adepts at war. Uh, so they were taking over, and of course this war was a mechanical war. It was just mm. massive. The the you know we know the statistics tell us that eighty percent of casualties were caused by artillery fire. Mm-hmm. So there's not much you could do actually as a mm-hmm. as an individual uh, to, to survive. Uh, it was very much in the lap of the gods whether you survived or not. Oh. Yes, there were skills that you could bring to the to the battlefield as uh, in fire and movement actions and things like that. But they were so far and so few mm. uh, removed. Uh, basically, this was a war of Put down the artillery Guns, barrage, yeah. walk into a machine gun barrage, uh, <coughs> and try and get to the other end. Yeah, I know it's um, insane. Uh, it, it was nuts, and it just killed men willy nilly. And whether mm. you're a footballer or not a footballer, uh, in the end, it didn't make. It was just bodies on the. Uh, mm. t- so the whole conscription thing was about getting extra bodies to the um, to the thing. And if we had of had conscription and we had have drafted in an extra few thousand. You know, they would have been put into the line. So, yeah. so that sixty thousand war did that we we look at today would have been looking at uh, seventy thousand or something like oh, that. Oh, easily, you know, would yeah, been, yeah. Would have been increased. Um, and I thought it was good actually. It's one of those old school um, social beliefs back then that married men didn't go mm. because then if something was to happen, who would provide? Yeah. You know, for their families and stuff. So those men were also exempt from um, enlistment in the First World War to begin with. Definitely, they weren't targeted. They weren't targeted. They they weren't Slightly exempted small. from enlistment. They were. You could be married and enlisted. In fact, oh 20, yeah, you could, but you weren't expected. Uh, but to. you weren't expected. There was yeah. an unwritten law that that marriage really had commitments at home, and that yeah. they shouldn't shouldn't need to go. It's all the single uh, fellas that were. So that, yeah, so that was who the the, the blowtorch was put onto. Yeah. And even in the conscription debate, by the time they got to the second one in 1917, they they exempted. You know, part of the the, the fear campaign was say, oh, they're going to take your dad. They're going to take. Oh, uh, they're going to take your. They're going to take your. Um, your husband, and so the government actually sort of made the statement that no, married men will be exempt if we bring conscription in. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and so. they lost by more on that one anyway. Just, yeah, a little bit more. Little yeah, bit they more. were still pretty close though. That's uh, I yeah. think 80,000. I mean, this is a national um, referendum. Referendum, and uh, I think the difference was about 80,000 in the first one and mm. 120 in the second one. Or, mm. I think so. it's still significant that they lost <clears throat> ground. Yes, you know, oh, like yeah, for sure. The Australian public yeah. was so war weary. Yeah. Well, there's a lot happening um, uh, in 1917 because you had the general strikes going on. So the so mm-hmm. the union movement now became really antagonistic yep. and uh, and started to uh, have uh, mass strikes all over the place. Uh, there were shortages in food, so women came out into the streets and protested mm. as well. Uh, and people were just getting war weary. It didn't mean that, uh, and this is an important distinction to make. It didn't mean that people opposing conscription opposed the war yeah they still actually supported the war and supported the soldiers at mm-hmm. the front but this idea that you would compulsorily forced, yeah force men to go to war ran against the grain for, mm. for for a lot of people and they and they saw it as despotism as and uh, they drew parallels well this is just prussianism yeah this is um yeah. this is not 
what we're about. And yeah. so that's that's the ground. Because Hughes, when he split with the Labor Party, because the, the, the Labor Party split over the issue and it was yep. disastrous for the Labor Party, but uh, uh, Hughes then went and formed the Win the War Party or the yep. National Party mm-hmm. with uh, some of the conservatives as well. And they won in a landslide mm-hmm. in the 1917 election. So people were able to make that distinction yep. that, that, yeah, we support the war, we don't support conscription, so... Yeah, and I think that was the same with footy as well, you know, like, because it started regaining its ground. It lost a bit of ground early due to, you know, numbers left. And also there was no money, you know, and people had to save their pennies and there was a lot of fundraising going on, so they had to kind of structure themselves that they were fundraising to get attendance and stuff, which is cool. But then by the end, some lucky footballers were returning and they... The crowds needed recreation. Like they, they did. needed something they did. to do. They were so over it. And that was the argument all the way uh, by the pro football uh, people was that, you know, people need a distraction. Mm-hmm. It can't just be war, 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 war all the no. time. We actually need to, um, to, to have something to go to to, yep. to relieve us. So it was a. Uh, so once it started to pick up again from 1917, um, it was war weariness uh, as much as it. But it's a good point that you made. It was these soldiers were returning home yeah. and they actually wanted to play. That's right. <laughs> They'd missed it. They survived they somehow. They wanted to play, yeah. So, um, and, and, yeah, a lot of the football clubs started to um, to play these to returned soldiers. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. I'm a Melbourne supporter and mm. Melbourne doesn't get mentioned in the book very much because they just, they pulled that real pro line yeah. and weren't playing while war was on. Yeah. They were very, um, you know, staunch in that view. And obviously that's their old school, upper class mm-hmm. kind of, you know. Over the blue bloods. Attitude. Because <laughs> I kept looking. I'm like, where's Melbourne? And it got mentioned a few times. I'm like, oh, that's because we kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. just towed no, the party Melbourne line. And <laughs> just refused to play. Yeah. yeah weren't going to do it. And came no. back in 1990. Yeah, that was really interesting. But, hey, what was really cool was all the women's stuff, you know, like women patrons of matches and the girls were out there, although, yeah, running around in uniforms of some description. And I thought it was really good that you made the distinction between the, like, almost carnival matches that Mm. were put on where there was, like, dress-ups and characters and stuff versus the actual real matches yeah. that started being played by these girls, yeah. you know? It was awesome. Yeah. So the the Western Australia... And there's a lot of... And uh, this is Rob's research more than mine, so it's... Um, uh, so I'm kind of uh, speaking for him here. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> we just don't have all the information about, about what women's games were played during the, the mm-hmm. war and how extensive they were. We, we get some mentions uh, that we know games were played, but we don't have any detail for yeah, them. right. Uh, so Rob concentrated on those ones that we did know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Western Australia, which is kind of, as he talks about it, as moving from the west to the east. So yeah, was, the, uh, the wave, uh, yeah. So it moves from the west to the east. And uh, in Western Australia, they definitely played a some sort of competition. Those those mm-hmm. girls from Kalgoorlie and the various um, workplaces in Perth, etc., yep. uh, from Antle, uh, they were definitely engaged in a competition mm. uh, in which the I think it was the Bones um, side were yes. were seen as the premiers of, of, of that. So so they clearly played some fairly um, uh, intense games and uh, and ones that you know were basically mimicked um, yeah. men's football. They were well attended uh, well as well, attended, which was great. Um, Women's patrons, so they had the the governor's yeah. wives and stuff coming out and putting them always on. Always underpinned by patriotic funds. So that, uh, it Definitely was, it fundraising. It was always going to be a fundraiser. For the Women's Red Cross and the comforts yeah, this, to the soldiers' uh, campaigns variety, and all that a variety stuff. of uh, funds that they would would put money into. It's very cool. But the South Australian ones uh, that uh, Rob talks about is really interesting because... 
It was promoted as a big event, one of the major grounds. Mm. Um, they played one at the Adelaide Oval and the other one was played at, I think, Jubilee Park. Uh, and the press report for that sort of uh, describes the game as starting off in a fairly carnival act, uh, atmosphere, mm. but both the sides are wearing proper proper outfits. One's in purple yep. and white, the other one's in two blues and a, a, a maroon monogram. Uh, so the girls are, uh, are dressed for the mm-hmm. occasion. They're, they're, they're seriously uh, attired for a football game here. And that press report very quickly uh, tells you that after the opening and the carnival kind of atmosphere, that it dropped into a game of footy. Yeah. Right? That was contested and that's how it cool. was reported. So, so yeah, it was, um, it was, it was quite serious. And uh, I, I guess the... The uh, the disappointment from today's perspective is that it didn't end up being the catalyst for women's football into the 1920s um, back no. then, though uh, it did provide obviously uh, an example that it could be done. Mm. Which uh, and again, I don't know enough about the history of the of what happens in no. the 1920s. So you need to read Rob's book. I will, uh, and I'm going <coughs> to, to. to find out about that. But I think it. Uh, I think he mentions in the conclusion of that chapter that uh, you know the whole uh, modern girl uh, and the, the yeah. vibe of the 1920s meant all of a sudden it was, it was these can-do girls. You know the Penelope yep. pit stops and uh, and yeah, all that. Yeah, so so yeah. the cinematography was was big and uh, the it girl and all that kind of stuff. That girls. Uh, so football must have had a little bit of a kickstart again mm, uh, in, in, the in, in the 20s, I think. But well, It makes sense. They were cutting their hair yeah, and, you know, doing yeah, all that all stuff. That, so. And what was really interesting in the book as well is at the end of that chapter, um, you guys talk about how by the end of their kind of playing time, they were in short skirts, yep. tights, boots, yep. jet like They really, because initially they were in quite long, long kind skirts, of skirts it's the, the West Australian one, and then, yeah, short pleated and dresses, it, yeah, uh, which they I, just, I guess would have been like the old netball ones. Yeah, bit, yeah, much easier to play yeah. in. And that, so again, it is, serious. yeah, it does, does indicate the seriousness of, uh, if we're going to play this, we mm-hmm. need to be able to uh, kick play the ball, properly. we need to be able to um, be freed up so that we can actually do what we want to do. And they didn't play on shortened grounds either. No. They played on the full length no, grounds, no. which I was loving. I did, um, I was describing it to my partner Dennis and I said, mm. this is a little, a league of their own, you yeah. know, that iconic movie yes, about yeah, the baseball, baseball in the States. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same and mm. not, nothing's known of it here. Like we should be celebrating, yep. you know, these girls and stuff. And oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I think in Victoria it was the car keys versus another Khaki girls versus the Lucas girls. Yeah. So the Lucas girls were up in Ballarat. Yes. That was interesting because uh, the the Lucas company had connections with Bones in, yes. in Perth. And That's so right. they probably got the idea uh, from Harry Bone uh, in, in Perth to, to let's have a workplace game. Mm. However, the Lucas girls were down in Melbourne, so they'd start off quite independently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Lucas girls worked at the uh, uniform factory uh, yes. in, in Melbourne. And they got around in uniforms, which was very unusual. They had a bugle band, a rifle brigade, and I think the other one was like a a fitness. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, uh, or regiment, and they dressed in uniforms, went to parades, etc. And it was the rifle group that played the football match. Played the footy. Mm. It was so cool. Like I was just, I think I read that chapter with a big smile on my face the whole time. But I tell you about uh, if we've got time, Mm. uh, there was the famous match that was played in London. In, in 1916, October 28th, 1916, just happens to be the date of the first conscription referendum. 
and <laughs> um, irony. And so, and it was organised by Monash, John Monash, mm-hmm. uh, and because they were playing the game extensively in, in everywhere in, in in England at the training camps at Salisbury. Oh, and playing, Egypt as well. They were playing, playing in, in Egypt, Egypt. They played it in Palestine, in France, uh, France, the lines, wherever yeah. they, they played it on soccer grounds so and cool. stuff, and, and in between the trenches and stuff, all, all sorts of uh, the old trenches. Um, but the match that was played in London was was a uh, you know, it was reported widely here. Yeah. Uh, it had about 3,000 people in attendance, mostly Australian soldiers. That, that yeah. It was seen as a curiosity by the English press. It was reported by the English press and the, and the French press as well. Um, but that match was like an all-Australian game and it featured mm. these stars from Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, the VFL and VFA sides. Yeah. Uh, and it was played in the great spirit and uh, then those... Players went off, and, and Bruce Sloss, who was captain of uh, Victorian side, uh, South Melbourne football, went. He was killed later on in France. Mm. Uh, so these guys uh, played this match, and it's a it's a standout moment in the history of Australian rules football. Yeah, I wrote to the AFL to get that game recognised, and mm. it suggested that you know an exhibition game be played over there um, to to market. Uh, I don't even think got off the the front desk of um, didn't even get past um, what's his name. No, uh, the chap that wrote back to me uh, he used to go to my school actually. I've mm. forgotten his name, but anyway, uh, weren't interested. When uh, one of the uh, great grandsons of uh, one of the players that mm. played in that game went to the AFL, he wanted to put a plaque uh, over at Queens Park to commemorate the game the AFL said oh yeah you can use our logo they have shown absolutely mm. no it's uh, interest in this significant moment mm. in the history of the game uh, and I just can't believe it that they that they went that way so um, yeah another yeah, another another point in my column of loathing towards the, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they wrote the letter back and sort of said oh it's the off season and I don't think the players or clubs will be too happy with with um, players playing in an exhibition game yet they play the Irish game uh, oh yeah uh, yeah that's and okay. they're happy to go to China mid-season it just it makes you know, no sense to it, me whatsoever. It, it never even got off the desk, and never, never. And they I, didn't I, have to use AFL professionals. They could have sent anyone who wanted to go. Like uh, it didn't yeah. even, ha- you know, like yeah, it could have just been a celebration. It could have been VFL players, waffle sand for whatever. I, I suggested it as a, a thing that the all Australians could could participate in. But yeah. you're right; they could have done it as a um, if you had a you would just say Joe Average from one of the other clubs, and you had a relative that played. Or oh, that would be cool. You could you could have all sorts of ways that you could go about it, but something should have been done and it wasn't. Yeah. And, um, so it's a, just an opportunity lost. <laughs> I think so. I agree with you there. But um, all right. So we were discussing off air. It is ostensibly an academic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of references throughout it. There's a few pictures and stuff like that. However, I reckon, like we were saying, standalone chapters, they're not long. The whole book's about 150-ish pages. Mm-hmm. Where can people get their hands on it if they uh, want to have a look? If they go to the Palgrave website, so Palgrave Pivot, uh, it's mm-hmm. an academic arm of Macmillan. Uh, but if they just put in Dale Blair... Australian Rules Football at War in the in Doctor Google, he should find it for them. <laughs> I'll put uh, a link in my blog. Yeah, as well. so uh, but I think Palgrave dot com is is the uh, is is the, the link. Yeah, yeah, the place to get it. Yeah, yeah. I really think like 
Um, it's a very readable book. If you've got any interest in that kind of stuff at all, I would recommend that you, uh, you know, get on there and, and have a look at a copy of it. Um, hopefully it will be stocked in libraries and stuff like that. Have you got word about anything like that? I haven't like got that? it. It's early days yet because it's only just come out. So right. um, I, I'm not sure exactly on, on what their marketing uh, strategies are, be, yeah. uh, whether we do a book launch here and those sorts of things Ooh. as well. So. Definitely. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was a great read. I think if you've got an interest in even either topic, yep. you know, there's lots of information about, you know, the politicians that were on boards at footy clubs and why mm-hmm. they chose to play in seasons and why they didn't. There's a lot of that kind of nepotism and all those connections are in there. So if you're into your political history, if you're into your World War history or your footy history, there's something in there for everyone. A bit of everything. There is. And all the context is explained as well. The research is great. You know, all the facts are in there and you can check them all. And so I reckon it was a it's a great read, you know, like so congratulations. Well, thank you, Ren. Thanks on for that. the opportunity. No to worries. Talk about it. Thank you so much for coming in. All right. Um oh let me see I have to put some music on now so we can like Get off air and stuff. Oh, didn't, you, you didn't have one. You didn't have up there Kazali's. Oh, I should of, have uh, had that, shouldn't I? Queued up. I should put the Melbourne theme song on or something because <laughs> they okay. did nothing they in did, there. They did nothing. No, you would have to play Richmond, Fitzroy, Collingwood, or Carlton. I, I would, and they're all the yeah. working class. Oh, and of course, all the them. Perth sides. So all the Perth sides keep uh, continue playing. They too. did, except a couple that couple that field went, teams. Yes, they got uh, ruined by the war, but that was uh, but no Perth sad. was solid. Perth was solid. And South Australia was really good. Yeah, no, Port Adelaide and... Uh, their association folded, so they started yeah, their own. Yeah, the Patriotic Football Association. Yeah. South Australians, uh, which, uh, yeah, uh, continued to play the game despite the uh, Saffles opposition. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting. The New South Wales Footy League was quite big, and I'm actually going to do some follow-up as to what happened with that because it just, like, it's not... No, it's still there today. I know, but like, you know, it seemed to have been quite a big player at that time, whereas it's obviously fallen away to rugby like quite a bit since then. Yeah, even then it it, it wasn't matching rugby. It was still very much a... uh, Kind of more smaller... Expat Victorian type of thing and a few New South Welsh players playing Mm -hmm. the game. But it was in the heartland of Sydney. I mean, it was like Sydney and East Sydney, South Sydney. Yeah, Balmain and all that. So all those inner west sides Mm -hmm. all had football sides. Yeah, so it was... was, uh, it had been going, and it, it uh, and it too continued to play through Certainly the war did. too. So Tassie know, suffered uh, a bit. Tassie got yeah, and yeah, Tassie because yeah. it's a parallel with uh, regional Victoria and and mm-hmm. the regional competitions in Tasmania because of the population more country based. So yeah, thing. so so it really got hurt. It did, yes. All right, folks. If we haven't wet your appetite enough with that conversation, then I don't think we're ever going to. But I, I'm going to put on some gang of views now. They've just brought out a new album this year called uh, Go Father in Lightness. It's a fantastic uh, CD. Get your hands on it. This is What Can I Do If the Fire Goes Out. Thanks again, Dale. Thanks, Ray.
Beaming quality live music to you every weekend at the Wheelers Hill Hotel. Coming up in November, see Ian Moss, Russell Morris, Mental as Anything, The Substitutes 60s Girls Rock Show, Into the Mystic, The Music of Van Morrison, and much more. For information on upcoming events and to buy tickets, go to satellitelounge.com.au. The Satellite Lounge are proud sponsors of 3MDR 97.1 FM. You've got your eyes. 
3MDR now has a sport club subscription. 3MDR is dedicated to supporting our local community and providing opportunities for everyone to be involved with the station. We recognise that our local sports clubs are a vital part of our community, so we've designed a subscription just for them. The aim of this is to provide clubs with a voice of 3MDR to assist with event promotion and general awareness raising. The sport clubs can subscribe to 3MDR for a year and receive the following. Acknowledgement of your support on 3MDR.com's sponsorship page, a professionally produced two-week promotional campaign on 3MDR for the event of your choosing, a weekly live shout-out on the show of your choice, and a 50% discount on all 3MDR sponsorship packages. Head to 3MDR.com to sign up your club today. Hi. Join Jane and Megan, the Friendly Femmes, every Wednesday, 9 till 10am, for a range of eclectic music. With a different theme each week, ranging from totem animals and dream interpretation to discussions on inspirational women and what's happening locally. The Friendly Femmes are two local girls inspired by all things spiritual. So if you're interested in these topics and more, tune in for something different. 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 <laughs> It's 30 years since Life Be In It started telling Australia that being active can be fun. But not only fun, being active also makes you healthier and happier. Almost everybody got the message. But 30 years on, some people out there seem to have forgotten what Life Be In It meant. Guess it's time for another wake-up call. I'm really famous, and you're listening to 3MDR, Mountain District Radio. Oh, ah, good on you being really famous. Yes, you are listening to Mountain District Radio 3MDR. This is Ren. It's been White Line Fever so far this morning. Thanks heaps to Dale Blair for coming in. Uh, as I said, that book is called Australian Rules Football During the First World War, co-authored with Rob Hess. I will have a link in my blog uh, to where you can purchase the book and it's already on the Facebook page, White Line Fever Facebook page. So, yeah, if we inspired you to go and get a little bit more knowledge about that time in our nation's history, then get along and have a read. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. 